In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I was blessed to grow up in the country. I grew up in a rural area surrounded by thousands and thousands of acres of forest. And we had many, many gardens. We grew our own tomatoes and carrots, radishes, squash, asparagus. I still don't like asparagus. And corn, and you name it, we probably grew it. We had an apple orchard, we had peach and pear trees, grape arbors, and more. We hunted deer, wild turkey, as well as house cats. No, I'm just kidding, we did not hunt house cats. We had several beloved barn cats, we often had three or four dogs at a time, rabbits, lots of critters. And during the very cold New England winters, we heated our home mostly with our fireplace and wood-burning stove. My mom, who is talented in so many ways, demonstrated her talent for cooking and baking growing up, taking full advantage of all of nature's bounty. In a lot of ways, we lived off the land. And it was from my dad in particular that I learned the value of physical labor, hard physical work. My dad had worked in factories for a lot of his life, and then up until his retirement as a lineman for the power company. So there were always stone walls that needed to be built or repaired. There was wood that needed to be chopped, land that needed to be cleared, hunting stands that needed fixing. Pasture fences that needed mending. We had horses. Trouble to get into. I was a regular in the principal's office. I know that will shock some of you. As well as many jobs that we needed to do as part of our family's landscaping business. It was a great place and a great way to grow up. Today's lessons appointed for the fifth Sunday of Easter are in many ways about growing up. And in it, we hear one of Jesus' most famous analogies or parables for the spiritual life. John 15.1. Again, this is from our own St. John. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. This analogy has roots way back before the time of Jesus, right into the depths of the biblical tradition in the Old Testament from the prophets. For example, the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 5, verse 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. Did you know that the Bible has many images for God? Not just God as father, but God as farmer, God as planter, God as harvester, God as vine grower, among many, many others. Now going back to Jesus' parable... In Jesus' analogy, you and I are the, we are the branches. We are the branches in this analogy that Jesus is offering us. Now, growing up every year, my dad would prune the branches in the apple orchard. And every year, I got to pick them up. And of course, I did so with a smile and singing a happy-go-lucky tune every time, right? Well, not always. There was no singing involved. Sometimes there was grumbling. But pruning is really important. But when you prune, it means there will be less issues with pests. There will be less issues with disease. 
It's also important to maintain a certain height for the tree because that's helpful when it's time to pick the apples, that is to harvest them. Pruning also contributes to healthier fruit and larger fruit. Our Lord goes on teaching us in John 15 too. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. Now check this out in verse 4. Jesus is inviting you and I to do something. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And in today's second lesson, which is also from our own St. John, this theme of abiding is picked up again. 1 John 4.16. Listen carefully. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God. And God abides in them. A healthy apple has a good shape, a good color. It's ripened appropriately. A healthy Christian bears fruit. The fruit of love. And remember, in the Christian sense, love is primarily a choice, not a feeling. Now John, remember, was the youngest of the apostles, the youngest of the disciples way back when in the early days of the Jesus movement. He was also one of the most headstrong of the disciples. He was this young, rough, tough fisherman. And the gospel that bears his name... But decades later, which is where we're hearing from him in the letter, he has become the apostle of love. And while he's now an old man, he's the only apostle left. All the rest have been murdered. You can still hear some of the passion of the younger John in these words. Remember, Jesus nicknamed John and his older brother James, Sons of Thunder. Here's what the apostle John, our patron saint, says. In 1 John 4.20 Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers and sisters, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. That's a tough calling there. Now these teachings we have from our own own St. John, and of course from our Lord, about bearing fruit, abiding in love for God and for others, jump out at us with a living illustration from the other lesson, from Acts. This is an interesting event in the early life of the church. We find Philip, a Greek Jew who has become a disciple of Jesus. And Philip was open to being a fruitful branch for the kingdom of God. How did he do that? He listened to the nudging of the Spirit. The nudging that God was giving him to say, Go out into the middle of nowhere, in the middle eastern heat of the day, on this lonely road. So Philip goes. And he just, quote, So happens to meet the Secretary of Treasury for Ethiopia. Just, you know, it sort of happens. It's just, you know, this occurrence. Now, while you were listening, 
to that being read, I hope you notice that the kingdom of God, the fruits of the kingdom, cross several boundary lines. This has much to teach us about our life today as Christians among ourselves and with others. Notice all the boundary lines that are crossed here in this event from Acts. Philip is a Christian. The eunuch is not. Philip is a Greek from the Mediterranean. The eunuch is an Ethiopian from Africa. Philip is a poor, wandering evangelist. The Ethiopian is wealthy, high class, a powerful official in his country's government. Philip is married. He has four daughters. The eunuch is single. He is a member of a sexual minority. Philip, at least when he finally meets the eunuch, is traveling by foot. The eunuch is traveling by chariot. But what is the eunuch doing? He is seeking the true vine. He is seeking the sheep that was slaughtered. He is seeking that text. He doesn't understand this text that he's wrestling with. And voila, Philip shows up and explains it to him. So what happens after this divine appointment that God sets up between the eunuch and Philip? And after Philip explains the good news, what happens to the eunuch? He gets baptized. He gets baptized. Despite his many differences with Philip, he becomes a disciple of Jesus too. Acts 2.8. It tells us that after the eunuch was baptized, what did he do? He went home rejoicing. Rejoicing. The lessons appointed for the fifth Sunday of Easter are in many ways about growing up. Growing up in the Spirit, growing up in Christ, about you abiding in God, God abiding in you, you seeking the vine, the true vine, you seeking the sheep that was slaughtered, you finally listening to that nudge, you've been receiving that nudge, that divine nudge from God to go down that road to make that choice, to follow that, or to come alongside a chariot. Come alongside a eunuch, someone who's different from you in your life, and respond and help them in some way. The passage is about you rejoicing in your life, having joy. Are you growing up in Christ? Are you growing in love? The costly love of Jesus? Are you bearing fruit for the kingdom of God? If your answer is no to most of those questions, or you're not really even taking them seriously, and you're just sitting there in the pew, then the more sobering, serious question for you is, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? God wants you to grow up. Whether you're 9 or 99, there is always more growth ahead of you. So, abide. Bear fruit. Grow. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.